When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. My name's Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week is special for me because I'm talking to a friend. I've known Phil Mershon for years now. Phil is the Director of Experience for Social Media Examiner. I used to work at Social Media Examiner. In fact, when I first started working there, I reported to Phil. So in some senses, you could say Phil used to be my boss. He has worked there for over 12 years where he creates amazing customer experiences like Social Media Marketing World and Social Media Success Summit. And throughout his 30 plus year career, Phil has been crafting and creating memorable experiences for businesses like nonprofits and schools and churches. And in fact, he has now compiled his experience and guidance on doing just that in his book, Unforgettable. The Art and Science of Creating Memorable Experiences. And in this conversation with Phil, we talk about how event organizers can create an effect of an unforgettable experience at their event. And we even kind of pull in some of that, you know, how you attend a meeting and you're like, this meeting could have been an email. Well, sometimes events feel like they could have been a meeting that could have been an email. We've all been to enough events, and we even dig down deep into that as well. As an attendee, even if somebody hasn't created an event to be unforgettable and give you the information, the connection, all those possible pros that an event can give you, if they have not designed it that way, that doesn't mean you can't get something out of it. And we dive into that as well from our knowledge both he and myself as event attendees and how we've been able to get some of the biggest takeaways from events, whether it's been designed to be unforgettable or not. But again, Phil's book is Unforgettable, The Art and Science of Creating Memorable Experiences. If in any way you create large or even down to a small scale, any kind of event, this book is for you. So I'll get out of the way and say, enjoy this conversation with Phil Mershon. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show, Phil Mershon. Phil, welcome to Beyond the To-Do List. It's my pleasure to be here. So we've known each other a while now. Let's see. One, I want to say you haven't just come out with a book. You're also my friend. And I see you not enough, but (laughs) I see you virtually almost every week with uh, a mastermind group slash prayer group that we're in. But I wanted to say that you and I have known each other since, what, 2013-ish? It predates me working at Social Media Examiner for that season. And in fact, when I first started there back in 2014, for eight, nine months, I reported to you. You were, in effect, kind of my boss. I was, which is hilarious because you knew way more about social media than I did. But there was no one else for you to report to, so I got the job. and. Um, we figured it out together. Yeah, I think 
You're right. You probably were at the very first social media marketing world and then you started working for us the next year. Yeah. So fun times, long time coming. Speaking of long time coming, you have come out with a book. It's called Unforgettable, The Science of Creating Memorable Experiences. And I'm not saying the title is bad. I think it's a great title. I think some people may not fully understand what that title means. Can you unpack it a little bit? Yeah. And obviously... My experience is largely in the realm of events. And so it's written from that vantage point. But I love creating things that people can't seem to get out of their brain, unforgettable in the best sense of the word. And then I wanted to dig into, well, why do some things work and some don't? Why are some events terribly unforgettable? Like you wish you could forget it, but you can't get it out of your brain. And why are others just utterly forgettable or boring even? So many people leave an event saying, you know, was, they might even leave saying it was good, but what they really mean is I had a good time, but they haven't been changed. And so those are the kind of events that I want to affect. It's like, I want to create more unforgettably good events and experiences. And I think individual experiences when stacked together, create an event. That's really what an event is, is a bunch of moments and experiences sewed together to create something bigger. And so if we can make those unforgettable in the way that they start changing people, changing organizations, change the world. We'll enjoy going to them a whole lot more, but we'll be better people for it too. Yeah. And so, you know, obviously I've worked with you for a number of years when I was part of Social Media Examiner. They put on Social Media Marketing World, a great event. So working behind the scenes and just all the care and attention to providing what you were just talking about, a great experience, not just a great experience, but a great cumulative collection of experiences that then stand out and are unforgettable. And you and I have also attended events together of other genres, etc., usually smaller than that one is, some of which, again, they don't even like there's one I'm thinking of in Nashville that now doesn't happen. And I miss it. You know, it was a small, like 300 people in a room. It was over the course of two days, two and a half days, something like that. One great food in Nashville. <laughs> so that was part of the experience that was built in, right? But just a month and a half ago or something like that, you and I were talking in a car ride, just having attended an event together. You were speaking, I was working it, and we were kind of doing that thing that people do when they go to an event is assess it, you know, talk about what worked, what didn't, mostly what could be improved. How can you deepen the connection? And we were talking about, you know, who your book is for and different people that are reaching out to you. And you mentioned this idea of these people that do local events, small, maybe one day type events, associations even. And I said, yeah, well, with those people, you've kind of got this idea that there's that phrase out there in productivity or in business that's this meeting could have been an email. And I get the feeling that those association type people and others in the event space often come up against this Maybe a turn of phrase on that phrase is this event could have been a meeting or this event could have been an email because they've just not created any kind of, you know, cumulative effect of an event made out of experiences that are unforgettable. And so I thought this is a really good road to like have a conversation around and, you know, jump in on. So I don't know. What are, what are your initial thoughts? When I said that, I think you kind of said, Oh, that's interesting. I like that idea. I got to run with that. Yeah. And it took me back to when I was first starting to work on the book, I was at another event, one that actually was one of those that 
probably could have been a meeting, but I was standing in line and a lady started asking me about what I wanted to work on because one of the things we were there to do was to identify a project that we wanted to work on. And I said, well, I want to write this book on how to create, I, I didn't have the phrase yet, unforgettable events, but I described what it was. And she said, oh, please write that book. My husband dreads going to all these mandatory meetings. He becomes a bear, frankly, at the house when he has to go to these mandatory trainings. If you could change the world of mandatory trainings into something that people actually look forward to going to and get something out of, you would make my life a lot better, let alone my husband's. And so that's like where I went in my mind first. And then I, I actually had an experience last week at an event that should have been what you're describing. It should have been like that, but it wasn't. And that's because the lady who organized it was so attentive to every detail. Like she wrote, wrote out a four or five page script for a two hour meeting. And it was, it was actually a pleasure to be part of it because she had thought of everything and she really did it with intention. She hadn't even read my book yet, <laughs> but she made it into something that people loved and they talked about afterwards. So it was such a nice contrast to what those are often where you go and someone thought this was a good idea to put on this event and get people talking about certain things, but they haven't gone to the trouble of really thinking through the details, how to stitch it together. Are these people really talking about what we think they're going to talk about? Like I went to one of those events not that long ago. It wasn't the one you talked about, but it was a different one where there hadn't been enough vetting of the people and there were some home runs and there were some swing and miss, you know, some maybe even a couple strikeouts in the middle of it. Like that wasn't what they thought it was going to be. I'm thinking they probably would redo that. And so, so many events fall into those traps. And so I think there's truth in what you said that this event could have been a meeting or an online training. Like that's another alternative that many are going to. And so why do it in person if it could have been done online should be a question we're asking. And that, that'll get us to what the real value is when we come together in person so that we're focused on the experience that people are willing to pay for. Yeah. And I think one of the cool things was as we were having that chat in the car over the course of an hour and a half, two hours there, a lot of the things that we were bringing up that are components that make an event unforgettable also make a meeting, which is again, a, a singular, it's an event, but it's a, you know, a half hour or an hour and maybe mostly in person, but often these days due to technology, also a group thing. And then that brings pros and cons with it, it challenges and opportunities. And so I thought it would be cool and interesting for us as, you know, as a productivity show to kind of go down through, you know, really as many components as we can rattle off here and talk about what it looks like for it to be unforgettable versus not when it comes to these elements that make it unforgettable event. And and since we're on the technology, I know pre-call we were talking about, you know, online trainings that used to be an event, now it's an online training and why that was a good thing. And and some people say, well, but then we don't have higher ticket prices and we don't have people coming in and again, I think it's context. What are your ultimate goals for the event? Those factor in also. Yeah, I was mentioning that back in the 90s I did corporate training for a large oil and gas company and you know, one of my jobs was new employee orientation. And so I don't know how many times a year, but multiple times a year, we brought in hundreds of people who had been hired on and led them through a two-day orientation. And now my future son-in-law just got hired by the same company. Today, it's an entirely online experience because what they realized is 
their main goal at that event was to transfer information, maybe to share a little bit of vision, but most of that could happen between the manager and the new employee with the tool of that training being held online. And then future events where they really do want to get to know people and get you to know the company better might make sense to do in person. So I think it's that careful evaluation of, is there something more going on here than just a transfer of information? If that can actually be best done asynchronously via technology, why not do it? And let's make sure when we're bringing people together, we're creating experiences that are human experiences that you really can't do online. And I think that technology has forced us to challenge that. Certainly the global pandemic taught us how to do things online better. It's not as good in my opinion, but some kinds of learning might even be better online. Like some people learn better following a screen. Others don't, you know, others actually tune out like within 15 minutes of being online, their brain is somewhere else. They just can't do it. So you got to know who it is that you're providing the training for or what the event is all about. But I do think that it's a valid movement that's happened in the world of training. You know, obviously cost is a factor in that. And when it comes to, you know, flights or, you know, road travel, et cetera, those are components that, you know, well, again, this in-person meeting or event could have been an online event. And that's something that the event industry, you know, I used to work for an event company for a season and, you know, had my head filled with a ton of that stuff. And especially since it was still very in the wake of the global pandemic in terms of, you know, all events closed, events are back, all events are hybrid, they're virtual, they're this. And it was all about like, again, it's the modality it has its pros and cons. It still always comes back down to the essence of why we're even gathering first. You know, what's the point of gathering? What's the meaning behind that? What's the reasoning? And again, a lot of people that goes back to that phrase, this meeting could have been an email. It's like, what was the point of meeting? If it was just to disseminate some information, great. If you want to shake some hands and have a little water cooler chat, maybe we have a separate thing that's just that. Maybe we have a an event that's just team building. Actually, I have a quick story. One of the times I did a team building thing that was virtual and I thought, how is this going to go? Right. Because the technology for a team building event, it's like we're not in person. We're not chatting about other things. But what we did was we broke out into teams and then we did a virtual escape room where it was a real escape room, but they had GoPros and we as a team could direct them to go around the room and do different things. It was actually, again, I was skeptical. And was sold by the end of it because one, my team won. But uh, that's just, again, think outside the box kind of a thing. Absolutely. I think where, where we stop thinking about this and where we need to start thinking is when you come together for an in-person event, don't just think about the content. Think about the conversations that you need to have. So what happens in person that's harder to do online are those extra conversations, the deeper levels of understanding that can be achieved in the hallway conversations, if we can call them that, or around the fire at night, if you're at a hotel or at the meals, those conversations take something that was delivered in a one hour session and allow it to go a lot of places that can't happen. So if you're like me, and I bet most of your listeners are, you go to an online training and when that's done, you instantly go to the next thing. There is no transition. Like there is no walk down the hallway to your next meeting. It's like an instantaneous, you're on to the next thing and maybe five things within a moment. And so a lot of the value has been lost. And so that is one benefit of 
saying, well, this meeting should have been an event. <laughs> Let's flip the phrase for a minute. Yeah. There is a level of conversation. There's a level of connecting that can happen if we do it in person, but let's do that on purpose. Let's don't just let that be happenstance. Let's think through, let's get people who understand how to do team building if that's the goal. And let's have the right amount of content with the right amount of team building and give enough space for that and say, you know what, we're going to spend $30,000 on a team building experience because we know that's going to benefit us all year long as a remote company. So let's make sure this experience is something that actually sticks in people's minds and they say, wow, that was actually fun, but I learned something too. I'm a better person for it. They're more connected to the mission of the company or whatever the case might be, the reason why you're doing it. But let's, you know, instead of challenging, should this be online? Let's say, well, why should this be in person? What's the benefit of doing it in person? And then now let's start talking through how can we make sure we've leaned into all the things that go into making something unforgettable. I once did a work retreat where we compartmentalized things. I think it was over the course of two days, two and a half days, something like that. It was a drive. And they even built in, okay, here is a half hour to an hour, I forget which, in the morning as well as in the afternoon, where because we're not at the office anymore, but we've all brought our laptops, we want you to be fully present when we are actually doing a fun activity that is when we're not talking about work or when we're doing vision casting because we want you to be fully present or we want you to do brainstorming and again, want you to be fully present. And it was designed around that. And so that half hour to an hour in the a.m. and p.m. morning and afternoon of every day was given to, okay, go check your inboxes, make your phone calls, anything that you need to do so you don't feel like you've got this nagging thing in the back of your brain or you're not picking up your phone constantly and checking your email there when you're in the room with us. That's your release valve, in other words, for all the air quotes work stuff to get that out of your system. I thought that was really genius. And then it really worked. I mean, we'd go do that. It was a focused block. Then we'd be done. Some of us had more to do than others. And then we would be fully present for whether it was a lecture style or if it was a brainstorming style. And then especially when it was, you know, meals or just fun time. We weren't talking about work. We were joking with each other. We were doing that true magic in the hallways, team building type stuff. Yeah, that's an interesting concept there of setting intentions and clearing the palette, so to speak. Those are two different things that you just talked about. And I think distractions is one of those big threats, whether it's an online event or an in-person event, and maybe even more serious for online than it is in person, but they're, it's there in both cases. So You've got this nagging feeling. The boss is wanting me to get this done by the end of today, but but I'm sitting in this meeting. So now I'm going to multitask. I'm going to try to do both. And you're going to end up not doing a great job at either one. (laughs) This actually happened to me recently where I had something that I had promised to get turned in, didn't get turned in. I'm sitting in this conference, multitasking in the back. And I tried to get that project done while I'm multitasking. And I ended up not doing a very good job you know, and had to, had to redo it the next day when I got back to work. And it was actually a bad situation because, you know, I almost lost the opportunity to work on this project I really cared about because I hadn't paid attention and I hadn't created my own space. So I think if people are trying to multitask, it, they may not be very effective. So giving them space to do it, acknowledging, hey, you're here. You may have something that's nagging on you back at the office or at home. We want to give you a moment to acknowledge that or 
there's going to be an hour built into the day where you can just go do that. There's nothing else planned in the agenda. That time is for you to use the way that you want to use it. I think that's super smart. And then also with the intention, I saw Pete Vargas do this at an event and I stole it from him. He starts the conference by saying, hey, I want everyone to grab your phone. This is the only time you have permission to do this. He said, I want you to send a text message or an email to someone who's making it possible for you to be here right now. And I want you to thank them for giving you the space, for taking care of things back at the office or back at home so that you can be here. And it did something really powerful because it allowed everyone to show appreciation that somebody made it possible. Maybe the boss who paid for the ticket and allowed you to take the time away. Maybe the spouse who's taking care of the kids and your chores and all the things that you're doing back at the house or whatever it might be. So there's appreciation, but then there's a responsibility that comes to say, oh man, if they're doing that for me, the stakes are higher. I better lean in here and get as much out of this time as I can and not just be half-heartedly here. So it actually had a multiplying effect where you showed appreciation, but you also leaned in and got more out of it. And I think you can set that intention online or in person. It is more powerful when you've left the house and now saying, okay, I'm here. I'm here to get whatever it is that I came for. I don't even know what it is that I came for, but I'm all here. And then when you've got an event organizer saying, hey, there, there's probably still something that's nagging at you. I'm going to give you space to take care of that in the agenda. I think that's a powerful combination. That's a really cool perspective shifting moment, permission giving opportunity. I really like that. I think more event organizers should be doing stuff like that in terms of setting the tone when the event starts. I will say the best events that I've been to have done that. And I've not literally done what you just said, but something along those lines. So there's a lot of different ways you can approach that. You probably don't want to do it the same way every time or it's like, oh, here we go again. Because it, it caught me off guard. And he, he actually did one more thing that I'll tell you. He said, some of you have been here before and I know what you're thinking right now. You're thinking, I've been here before. I've heard this. I'm going to sit in the back of the room and I'm going to multitask. He's literally calling me out. And it wasn't me specifically, but it was me collectively. And he, he said, I want to invite you. You're here. You traveled to be here. I want to invite you to invest yourself because I think there's something that's going to happen in the next two days that's for you, but you're going to miss it if you're multitasking. So I invite you to set your intention right now to be all here. So after he did that first exercise, he did that and I was hooked. What was interesting is within two hours, maybe three, I'd had two conversations that made me realize, oh, If I had checked out or multitask, I would have missed these two specific events and both of them were transformational for me. And so it's it's been a lesson to me to invite others to do the same thing because again, online, in person, that intention that you have about being all here for what it is, because I've seen this happen online where when my intentions are right, I get a lot out of it. I do think it's easier and deeper and more powerful when it's in person. That moment of setting why are you here? Are you going to be all here? Are you going to tune those things out now? There's a there's a flip side of that, Eric, and that is event organizers can do things to minimize the impact of those distractions. Like I, I can't control the boss calling you or the wife calling you and what you're going to do about that. I can't control that and I can give you permission to, you know, try to distance yourself. But there are other distractions, you know, that we can do. And that is, you know, things in the room. 
could be distracting for you if we have the wrong colors. If it's cold in the room and putting you to sleep, if it's hot in the room, you know, if there's constant movement going on, if we don't understand that there's different learning styles in the room, there's all kinds of different things that we can be thinking about that can either distract or help you focus. And since you're all about focus, that might be a direction we want to go. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you enjoy Beyond the To-Do List, I invite you to check out Best Laid Plans. I'm Sarah Hart Unger, the host of Best Laid Plans, a podcast devoted to all things planning and planning adjacent. I talk about everything from paper planner reviews to deep dives into all things productivity from keeping track of goals and tasks to fitting in your true priorities and reducing the stress around planning and organizing across different areas of life. I am a practicing physician and mother of three, so I have a lot going on in my own life and am intimately familiar with the time constraints that impact us all. And I love sharing my own productivity strategies and learning from others who have their own ideas to share. I invite you to check out Best Laid Plans, available on all podcast platforms, or visit my website, theshoebox.com, T-H-E-S-H-U-B-O-X dot com to learn more. I was going to call out that I think there's two paths we can go down here. And first, let's go with the event organizers and things they should be mindful of for their experiences, their events, their meetings, etc. In terms of the components, the execution, the planning and having the end goal in mind and the, the delivering of you know, that impact, whatever form that takes, not just modality, but like the actual like end takeaway, they want their attendees in whatever form that is, what they can do towards that end goal. But then let's flip it and say, okay, as an attendee, even if the event designer hasn't come up with doing everything right, how can you still, if you have to go, or if you've paid to go because you chose to, how can you get the most out of an event? I love both lines of thinking. Do you want to start with the event planner? Yeah, let's start with the event planner here because I think there's there's a lot of things that will be gleaned for the event attendee through that process anyway, and then we can round out a conversation with attendees specifically. So I think it starts with you've got to know your customer, and that's like basic marketing 101. But in the context of events, how do they learn? What kinds of people are they? Are they all new? Is their first time coming to the event or have a majority of them been coming for years and this is like a family reunion? Is this a new location for everybody or, you know, is this the same place that you've been doing it for years? The more you can visualize and articulate who these people are, the way they like to learn, 
the kinds of music that they like to listen to, I think is super important because the soundtrack that you create, the literal soundtrack and then kind of the metaphorical soundtrack, two different things is dictated by who that person is. So if I'm designing an event for you, Eric Fisher, and you're my avatar, it's going to be different than if I'm designing an event for a 35 year old woman who is, you know, a marketer or whatever, or, you know, a 65 year old engineer who's at the end of his career, he's got it all together or an event for doctors. All of those are going to have similar things about them and different things about them. Some are more competitive, some are more collaborative. So you're thinking about how do the people want to interact with each other? How do they interact with content? Are they coming looking to be wowed or are they coming because the ideas that are being disseminated are really what they care about? And we need to make sure that we elevate the ideas and give space for those conversations. Do they care about having, you know, really great coffee or do they just need enough coffee to keep the day going? And they're really much more focused on having great food and great experiences. So the better you can understand who that audience is, the more dialed in you can create the program. And that's, you know, at one level, that's something that every event planner on the globe is going to ask those questions. But what do you do with that information, I think, is what's critical. I like to think of myself as a video game designer. I don't know how to design a video game, but I know that this is the thought process that goes in. You're creating pathways for people within your event. And just like when you're playing a video game, you get to a certain intersection and you have to choose door A, B, or C, and that dictates what the rest of the game is going to be like. Your event attendees are making those choices, but if they've got 10 options, when they get to that pathway, they're going to get stymied. Most people don't know what to do when you give them 10 options. They need some way to filter it down to maybe three or four options or two is even better. Do you go left or do you go right? So thinking through what's that journey like? Where are the places that they're likely to check out? So this is back to the area of focus. So when you get to places in the journey and they're deciding, do I go to this session or do I go to have some food in the networking area or do I go back to my hotel? There's always that option, by the way, that they might leave the building and go back to their hotel. So what are they thinking about in that moment that might cause them to do it? You mentioned earlier, maybe getting work is one of those. Well, if you can create a spot where they can go get their work done so they don't have to go back to the hotel. You've kept them around. You've given them space so that they're much more likely to come back because you gave them permission. So thinking about what are those things that they're thinking at every moment? And then also thinking through, I look at the way Disney designs their theme park. They're very intentional about creating some peak moments throughout the experience that you're there that keep you looking forward to the next peak moment even though they know there can be some bad moments in between. No one really enjoys standing in line. No one really enjoys spending 20 bucks on their hot dog and Coke. No one really enjoys keeping Johnny entertained when he is screaming his head off with sticky ice cream on his face. So instead, they know that when Johnny meets you know, Goofy, let's say Goofy is his hero. When Johnny goes on his favorite ride, he goes to Space Mountain. When Johnny sees the parade, when Johnny sees the fireworks show at the end of the night, those are peak memories and those will outweigh all the negative ones when done well. And we have the same opportunity within an event. If we know what those peak moments are, those things that are going to stand out that people are going to talk about that are going to stick in their brains, those will create this cumulative effect that will cause them to forget about or diminish the importance of those negative experiences they have 
as long as it wasn't the first moment. If you have a bad first impression, it's really hard to overcome. And I think this is a place that many events drop the ball. They might have a cool first impression graphically. When you walk in, there may be some friendly faces behind the desk. I've experienced both in terms of that, like where they're friendly, where they're just, it's someone had to do it and it, they got roped into it and stuck behind the desk. But what happens right after that moment is, in my mind, one of the most critical moments within an event. You get through, you have a badge, you have your bag. Now you're asking yourself, what's next? And if it's not obvious and there's not this natural movement where you're feeling drawn into what's next, that could be a really awkward moment. And depending on how long that awkward moment lasts can put a negative feeling in people's minds of, oh, I'm wondering if this event is for me or not. So we've got to have ways that we are creating a great first impression, inviting them in and helping them get connected into the community. And usually, in my experience, if they don't know people there, this is very different if you're going to a corporate event where you know half the people. But if it's an event where you don't know very many people, making some new friendships within those first 15 minutes can be a powerful indicator of the success that they're going to have at the event. Yeah, man. And I love what you said about the video game thing. When people first walk in, it makes me think of when you first fire up a new game and you're like, okay, is this any good? I've seen the trailers. I've anticipated playing it. And I've spent a lot of time playing games with my son and my daughter recently with a number of new games that have come out that we were waiting a long time for. And it's like, okay, is the tutorial here too rigid or is it too open? You know, if that makes sense, it's like, it's so open world that you can go anywhere, but then it's like, well, then I don't even know what I'm supposed to do or where I'm supposed to go versus no, keep me on guardrails a little bit here. Put me on a track that, you know, when I first start up, this is step A, step B, step C and so on just to a point. And then once I've learned those basics, if it's going to open up fine, but uh, I'm thinking of a, a specific game in mind, but anyway, I don't need to name it. But wouldn't you say in that moment that having some early successes is really important to you coming back to play the game more? So like your ability to level up those first couple of rounds keeps you coming back and wanting more. And I think the same thing is true in events. If people can have some early success, they've, they've made some new friendships. They've gone to a great first session. They've had some other experiences. They're like, wow, I've met someone that I was really looking forward to. And I already met them the first day, you know, before I even got into the event, like whatever those goals might be, those are those early wins that make you think, okay, well, that's already happened. What else is going to happen? You know, I, I had that happen one year where I wrote down my intentions and shared them with somebody. And literally before the first session started, all three had taken place. And, you know, jokingly, I said, I can go home. Of course, I was in charge of the event, so I couldn't. So I said, well, I wonder what, what else is going to happen if I've already achieved those. I obviously didn't set my goal high enough. And so it made me intrigued what else is going to happen. And I think we can do that for our attendees coming to our events too. Yeah. And we got to keep in mind that in talking strictly physical events usually involves some form of travel. They've spent a number of hours, not to mention mentally, they've had to prepare and hustle and work ahead to be gone slash then travel and take that time and then arrive. And so you want to give them some sort of trophy and takeaway or accomplishment or endorphin hit basically as soon as possible when they enter into any kind of prepared moment or experience that you have for them. 
Absolutely. This is a tip both to the attendee and to the organizer, but the more you can get people engaging with each other prior to ever arriving, the more likely those kind of experiences are going to happen. Because Eric, you and I have both done it, you know, where you go to an event and you look at who else is going to be there and you make plans before you ever get there. I'm going to have dinner with Eric, Jeff, and Ian. Like we did that, right? Yes. When we went to that one Tacos. event in Nashville. And we we set that as a goal. And I think we even had more than one, but we said, we are for sure going to have lunch together that first day. So we didn't have to worry about who am I going to you know sit with at lunch, the awkward, you know, middle school, <laughs> you know, <laughs> awkwardness that we have, right? Where you're wondering, oh, who do I sit with? I don't know. I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going by myself if you're an introvert, which that would be my instinct if I didn't have those plans. But now I'm like, oh, I'm at home because I already have some friends here. That's one of those endorphin hits or psychological safety hits, really. You want people to feel a sense of belonging and safety when they come. And I think building community online before they ever arrive can do that. And you as an attendee making some effort to get connected into the community before you go, even if it's just, you know, spending an hour or two doing a little perusing and figuring out who else is going to be there and finding two or three people that you know you want to meet up with, that can lower your fear factor. You may not think you're afraid, but there is a fear factor when you walk into a new space and it's going to make you feel like, okay, I've got some plans. If nothing else happens, I know I'm meeting with these people and that's going to give me a springboard into the rest of the event. Yeah. And that's a great thing that as attendees we can do. But I think also one of the coolest things I've seen is when an organizer already intentionally provides that pre-planned connection opportunity for people to connect beforehand so that they can say, you know, that first evening before things really kick off, we've got this chunk of time here where you can go and here's a, I, I forget what we used to call it, but like it's, it's, you know, dinner date or it's lunch and learn, you know, it, it's group stuff where you can go and sign up and you can, you know, see who's there or you can pull together different people and you, you already know, oh, hey, I've got my crew. You may enter into a group of six people going out to a specific restaurant, know none of them, but start off the event or have, you know, at some point in the event, different groups like that, that you've already connected with and so on. I know for me, I've always kind of tried to have a, I've called it my hit list. And I'll, and I used to do this in Evernote back in the day, Evernote, rest in peace. I would go and I would just say, who are the speakers that I know that are accessible? Who are the speakers that I don't know that I think might be accessible? But then also, who are the people that I know that are attending? And I would have that as my kind of three different tiers of my hit list. And I would say, okay, how can I make sure to have FaceTime with these people? What mechanisms are already in place due to the organizers providing that? Which ones do I have to be proactive on myself? Yeah, I think that's a great strategy to have in place. And I find it depends, again, like you said, what event you're going to. But many speakers want to connect with their audience. And if you've made efforts to figure out how, some of them create their own meetups for it. Some of them just say, hey, connect with me. I'm going to be hanging out at this place at this time. Many of them are glad to stick around and do questions after they're done with sessions. But if you know, hey, I've got to meet, you know, you mentioned Seth Godin pre-call. So let's say Seth is going to be somewhere. Well, Seth might be more challenging to connect with, but he probably does have ways that you can do it. And if you know what those are, then you can figure that out, you know, and yeah, I think that's a great tip. 
So what else, as far as organizers and having the end in mind and planning a good, let's not use word good, let's say unforgettable, because that makes more sense, uh, planning an unforgettable event, what are the other factors that they need to be thinking about? What's interesting to me is all events have some things in common that every event has to have for it to be an event. You have to have you know, speakers and content, typically, if it's an educational event, we'll just say for now, we're talking about an educational event. So you have to have content. You've got to have some form of plan for helping people connect because people aren't traveling all this way to sit in a room and never talk to somebody. So you need some kind of plan based around that. You've got to have a plan for how you're taking care of the space that you're given. So I call that the context that the building that you're in, or if you're doing it in an outdoor setting, you still have a context. And so you, you have that. You've got plans for what colors are we going to use? How are we going to use lights? What kinds of graphics are we going to use? Are we going to have crazy LED stuff going on with lasers? Or, you know, what is that plan going to be? You've got a staff, you've got a crew and the way that they show up, you know, their attitude toward the customer has a profound effect, you know? So do you have a plan for training them and what is your culture of service? And, you know, do you want people to be super friendly or do you want them to be more reserved? You know, depending on, again, the audience that you're serving, you're thinking about all these things, but the difference between a good and an unforgettable event in my mind is the attention to detail along those things. And one of those details that is often overlooked is we as planners, We'll sit with the spreadsheet or one of our programs and we'll say, okay, here's our schedule for the day. At eight o'clock, this is happening. At nine o'clock, this is happening. At 10 o'clock, this is happening, et cetera, through the day. And the, the detail that we're often missing is what's connecting block A to block B and block B to block C. How are those connected to one another that's creating the whole? Like we did a great job planning. Eric is speaking at eight. Jeff speaking at nine, Ian speaking at 10. We know what they're talking about. We know what their session is, and we should put lots of effort into that. This is what I call brick and mortar. Those bricks matter. Those bricks are what the world sees. Those bricks are what people are going to remember. They don't remember mortar, but if you don't have mortar, the bricks are going to fall down and you don't have a wall. And so the mortar is your MC. The mortar is, do you have coffee available on that break? as they go from point A to point B. The mortar is, do you have Wi-Fi available? If you're, if one of the goals is people need to be able to do work while they're there, do they either have access to cell coverage or Wi-Fi? The mortar is the details of how they're getting from here to here. Is it easy to find my way? You know, we're talking about the video game. Is it easy to figure out how do I get from room 101 to room 233? I remember going to one large event and the event staff working the building thought I was stupid because I couldn't figure out how to get from room one to room 233 or whatever the room numbers were. And it was not obvious. And I got lost and went in circles, <laughs> finally went and asked someone and felt even more foolish. They weren't the event staff. They worked for the, the convention center. Didn't matter in my perspective. So the mortar connecting things together is one in my mind, one of those hidden secrets. And that's representative of the details. Like truthfully, the difference between an, a mediocre event and an unforgettable event is in the details. Anyone with half a brain, I'll say it like that, could probably put on an event. Like it's not hard and you could even find recipes out there for how to put on an event. But if you want it to be a truly great event that stands out, that's going to change people, 
there are details that you need to pay attention to that are like that mortar stuff that I'm talking about. It's like choosing the right colors, not just having colors because you should have colors, but do these colors support what's going on? I will share something about an event that we went to in common recently where they had some amazing colors of blues and purples. But right after lunch, when we just ate and the room is cool and those colors are cool, it had an effect of putting us to sleep that was not really great. And it wasn't something that was thought about. We needed a little bit more energy, something to pick us up in that moment. And the colors actually ended up working against the event for a period of time in the day. And it hadn't been thought about. And, you know, it's just one of those things that we think we've thought of everything until you realize, oh, that's an unintended consequence of a choice that we made that we thought was cool and was cool, except for when this happens. Yeah, I think one of the things to, to really pay attention to are all the different senses and how the, those play in. You, you mentioned temperature and lights and colors. So far, I think that music or lack thereof or ambience, that's another one. Not just the sensory stuff, but also time. One of the things that I thought that's a really great mortar that I'm always paying attention to is, is there enough buffer time in between either the required things or the optional things so that, and I'm speaking especially for online stuff that I've attended. If I know I'm in a training all day, then you better let me have a good 10 at least, but more like 15 to 20 minutes where I can get up and I can go one, use the restroom two, refill my water, three, grab a snack four, maybe step outside and feel a different atmosphere for a little bit and wake back up, which is a little bit what you were just referring to in terms of, you know, we've got ebbs and flows to our energy. We have to allow time as well as our senses to play into not just the factors of paying attention to creating an event, but also us personally. That's something else that, you know, I've noticed is like, okay, well, this is winding down this session. And I think he's pretty much hit all his points or, you know, whoever's speaking, Uh, I can get up and I can go use the restroom. I can hear it from far enough anyway for a while. So depending upon, you know, the size of the event or whatever, but you know, sometimes we have to make our own plans when it comes to that, you know, have snacks in our bag, have our water or coffee with us at all times. So I love that. Another sense There's two more senses that you can lean into. One is taste and one is smell. So you guys did something at that event in Lima, which was really cool, at least for the speakers, where they created these special little macarons with the speakers' faces on it. And so it was like unique, something that I'd never seen done before, but it was also tasty. So I will not have a macaron again without thinking back to that moment. And so you've created a connection for people. And you can do the same thing with smell. And smell is even more powerful. It is the most powerful of our senses in terms of the track to our memories. And if we're making something unforgettable, we want it to get into people's memories where it's stuck there in a good way. And so being intentional about aromas that you use without obviously triggering allergies. So you want to always use chemical-free fragrances. And usually it's single scent it works the best as opposed to mixing things together. If you're trying to create a pathway to the memory, if you're just trying to create a mood, mixing things together is totally fine. But if you're trying to create something that's going to be truly memorable, you want a single essence like orange or lime or something, depending on what you're trying to create. And again, that can be powerful for good, or it can be really bad. <laughs> so I've got stories on both sides of that. 
since we're talking about sensory stuff, I think this is one that I've had complaints given to me slash I've had my own that I've given about parties at events when it's like, it's a networking party. Oh, really? Then why is it so loud in here? I can't hear myself talking to a person that's right next to me. I've got to shout and then I'm losing my voice. So it's just, again, that's a sensory thing when it comes to sound. So I was going to say, look, that's not for everyone. Now, some people, they love the loud celebratory type party and that's great. Do it. Have an alternative or at least alternative options for the older people or people that have sensory issues like me. We need a place where we can chill with company and, you know, relax and have conversations and food and connect that way instead. 100% agree. I think all the studies that have been coming out lately on neurodivergence, you know, show us that we've got to have different pathways in that realm of, you know, light stimulation, sound stimulation. All those things can be an assault to some while exciting for others. And, you know, culture fits into this too. So an event you're doing in the United States is going to look different than in Europe versus Asia or somewhere else. And so understanding your context in that respect of what's normal, but also being aware that uh, this happened at our event recently where we had live karaoke and early in the evening, it was totally comfortable. You could talk to people and people were on stage singing and it was fine. Somehow over the course of the evening, one of the sound guys thought it was a good idea to keep turning the sound up. I guess there's a correlation between how much alcohol people had consumed and how loud it should be. I'm not sure what the rationale was. I said something to them after the fact. And they're like, well, that's what people love. I'm like, well, that's not what we love. I was literally screaming in someone's ears trying to give them instructions and I could not be understood. That's not good. Like, that's not cool. I shouldn't have to leave the room to at least be able to provide some instruction or understand what somebody is saying to me. But, you know, again, we are getting old and some people love the experience. And so you got to know yourself and, you know, and have that something for everybody. Yeah. We've talked a lot about event engineers, event organizers, and creating a good event. And there's lots more that you've got written up about that in the book. As we wrap up here, let's think, is there anything else in terms of, again, Maybe you have to go. Maybe you were sent. Maybe you chose to go. Maybe you purchased the ticket yourself. But as an attendee, anything else that we can think of in terms of having our own, I don't know, internal driven resilience to get the most out of the event, what are some of the things you do? I've shared a few. I'm going to try and come up with another one here to share. It's funny because I asked about this a while back, even before I ever wrote the book, and our common friend Chris Penn said something to me that shocked me. He said, there is always something I can learn everywhere I go. You don't have to do anything extra to help me learn because it's my job to learn. And I thought that was really interesting. I think he is in that you know 10% of the bell curve that's on the upper end. Like he's going to learn no matter where you drop him. He's always going to find something. But I think we can all adopt that mentality. So there's always something that I can learn in every conversation, in every session I go to. If we just have ears to hear and eyes to see and we're on the lookout for it, there's somebody that we need to meet. There's some conversation that we need to have. There's something that we can learn. Here's the truth, Eric. I don't know if you found this to be true, but when I go to an event, I typically don't walk away with more than three to five things that I'm going to remember and do something about. No matter how much content was shared, 
no matter how many days I was there, how many pages of notes I took, if you were to come to me 30 days later and research shows this, 90% of what I learned is going to be forgotten, 90%. And so what's in that 10% that I'm going to remember? Because that's the stuff I need to be intentional about. So if I go in with a plan of here's three things I'd love to learn, here's three people I'd love to meet, here's a couple of conversations I would love to have. And you've set that intention and you've already put it on a map and you revisit that maybe even while you're there, you're far more likely to see those things happen (laughs) because you're on the lookout for it. You've already alerted your brain that you need to learn these things. So you'll be listening for it. And if somebody asks you, hey, is there someone you need to meet or something you need to learn, you'll know how to answer that. You're going to be more likely to be of service to somebody else because you're going to ask them those questions because you want them in turn to ask you and they may or may not. But as you help other people, you're very likely going to find those things that you went in expecting to learn no matter what. Even if it's like this mandatory new employee orientation or this mandatory, we've got to learn new systems. Well, you know, what if you're setting it out as your goal? I want to be the employee of the month of my job, or I want to, I want to get that next pay raise. I want to get this. It behooves you to go in and figure it out. It may bore you to death, but maybe there's still a way that you can figure out how to make it work for your learning style. Maybe sitting in a session and learning isn't your thing, but you can still say, you know what? I'm going to go talk to that that instructor afterwards and ask a couple of questions. I'm going to find someone who clearly seems to understand it and I'm going to ask them. So I think it's a lot more about your mindset and your plan going into it. Getting to know the plan that's been laid out for you you know, is great. And I, as an organizer, may or may not have laid it out in a way that helps you. And if I haven't, ask me. Ask the person who organized it. At one point in time, we laid out our, our schedule in an Excel spreadsheet, actually a Google sheet, so that people could print it out and create their own schedule. Some people absolutely love that, but we thought it was a waste because we've already got this cool mobile app that allows you to create your own schedule. Well, people reached out and said, hey, where is that matrix? We need the matrix. You're like, okay, we can make that available. We use it internally. There's no reason why we can't make it available. We just didn't think it was useful anymore. If you don't tell us what you need, we don't know what to provide you to help you make your plan. So feel free to ask because my job, and I think the job of any planner is we want to help you get the most out of it. If you have an unforgettable event experience, when you come to our event, you're much more likely to come back and tell your friends that they should go. And so that's that's what we want ultimately is we want you to have a great experience, but we also would love to see you come back. Yeah. I think one of the things that I've learned the most is when I'm at the event and something hits me as like, ooh, this is the thing or one of the things, hopefully that you've gone in intending to get out of it. Once you get one of those, I think at that point you're going to be sitting in sessions, listening to other things or talking with people as much as you can start working on that thing. Get some momentum on it. Get some more notes. Add in like, okay, they talked about this, this, and this, but how does this, this, and this apply to me? What do I do with it? How can you push the rock of momentum further than a couple weeks when you go home? You know, can't do anything else more about it because you've lost your momentum. I love that. I love that. And I think giving yourself permission to even skip sessions so that you can go deeper into that, whether it's doing one-on-one work or saying, hey, you know, Joe Speaker, can I talk to you more about this? I've got this idea and grabbing time and saying that all of a sudden becomes important because you are now leaning into it. But there's one other thing I've seen people do, and I've done this only some of the time, 
but that is creating time after the event's over. That's a buffer before you go back to work so that you can do some deeper work on that thing or on those things, depending on the case. And so some people will take half a day. Some people will, will take a day. Some are just intentional about their travel time, the way they get back home, depending on how far away you were. But giving yourself some space to make those plans so that you cement it. So that 90% of what people forget becomes a lower number, the more intentional rehearsing you do of the things that you've learned and doing it in a diversity of ways. So if you can use multi-sensory, draw pictures, even if you're not an artist, you know, write it out in a way that you can tell someone a story, like tell it as a story and find three people to tell that story to. Do different things to anchor it in your brain so that you're going to be much more likely to remember it later. And if you've done that work and you've created a plan, then now it becomes part of you and not just something that you tell stories about. Yeah, uh, I love that. Well, as we wind up here, I want to point people to where they can grab the book. Obviously, I'll link up to everything in the show notes. But is there any place people can go grab the book? Again, it's called Unforgettable, The Science of Creating Memorable Experiences. It's very much needed. Where can people find more about you and the book? So it's available on all the online bookstores. It'll probably be in some in-person bookstores, but you can also get signed copies through me at filmrashawn.com. And all of my social links are on that site as well. Perfect. Awesome. Phil, thank you so much for sharing. And uh, hopefully I'll see you again soon in person, but I know I'll see you virtually also very soon. Thank you so much for sharing. Glad to have got your expertise on this shared with the audience. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on, Eric. Well, that's another podcast crossed off your listening to-do list. I hope that you enjoyed listening in on this conversation with Phil Mershon. It was great for me to catch up with him and talk about this specifically, because we haven't really talked about this as much, at least not recently. We used to do it all the time, but I did catch up with him on a two-hour car ride a couple months ago, and that's where we decided, you know what? We need to bring this to the Beyond the To-Do List audience. So I really hope that if in some way you're connected with any kind of putting events on, or for that matter, if you are a person who attends events regularly... Grab this book. It is definitely worthwhile. It gives you a new perspective, a different lens, additional guidance to be able to get the most as well as create the most unforgettable experiences. If you found this conversation helpful, I would love for you to do a favor for me. Hit the share button. Wherever you're listening to this, hit that share button, share it and send it over to somebody that you know needs to hear this conversation. Help them out. Help me out. Thank you so much for sharing. And thank you for listening. I will see you next episode.